When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode to hear that podcast ground is presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. Paul Diener Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic here working for you. What's going on, Jay? Oh, feeling great. You know, there's when you don't feel well, when you get back to normal, even though normal is average, it, it just feels so great. And I'm, I'm so happy to, to be back normal and, and back here doing a, a regular Tuesday podcast, feeling like my old self. Yeah, big big energy, big stats. Jay is 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 back to bring it. <laughs> Bengals just Bengals fans just hoping that Joe Burrow is saying the same thing on Wednesday when he goes out to practice. Yes, uh, we, don't know we, we will see. Be, we we will we will get to that. A lot of news to get to, uh, so we're going to spend some more time maybe than usual because uh, the Bengals are all of a sudden quite newsy after a year of being quiet, which we've talked about a lot over the course of the year. This is more what it's normally like uh, in early December is the, what the news is going to be like today. So we've got that. We've got a, a look at the playoff picture. We got to kind of dive into this and, and what's the easiest path? What, what, what happened now? How did this change thing? What, what does San Francisco game mean? It's a mess. And we're going to try to unpack that a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the team's inconsistency, lack of trustworthiness, what exactly to make of the up and down nauseous roller coaster nature of this team this year. Um, we're going to bring in Mo Egger of ESPN 1530, of course, uh, who had one tweet from Sunday's game. And I actually think it is the perfect entry point to the conversation about what happened Sunday and how you feel about him going forward. Um, I, Jay, have stats that I Good. worked hard on. And I and I, I want to say, like, I, I feel like you, you, as as our stat guru, might be proud of my work here. So I want to get to that, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna unpack the Bengals growler, the palindrome growler bet situation that occurred, uh, which is a fun one, and uh, talk a bit about San Francisco. So, lot to get to here. Let's dive in news. Pinky watch, twenty twenty one. We kind of got the first comments of what's going on with Joe Burrow's pinky, and they were inconclusive. Yeah. Uh, basically was, uh, you know, Joe doesn't really say a whole lot about this type of stuff, so we'll see how he looks when he goes out there in practice. He may be limited early in the week to keep any unnecessary pressure off of the pinky, uh, but as Burrow said after the game, He's going to be playing through whatever it is. We'll see if anything pops up where he's totally not practicing this week. As long as he's out there, I would say in a limited capacity, um, you have to assume that he's just finding ways to power through it and they didn't find anything else. It doesn't appear that they found anything else. I think that, you know, but again, the vagaries that sound, I, I didn't expect to get specifics, um, but it was sort of, vague wouldn't you say yeah it definitely was and i mean any injury the the key to it is rest and you just can't afford to do that and i think there's going to be a lot of nervousness too because um we saw trey hill wasn't great and if 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 the 49ers any of these upcoming opponents get a push up the middle there's a a chance that we see kind of what we saw in that that Thursday night game with Taysom Hill and the Saints, I mean, on any throw, your hand can hit an opponent helmet, an opponent arm. It's it it and a sack. If if he's cradling the ball as he gets sacked, he's not going to be able to kind of avoid which way he lands. 
that the pinky is going to be technically the first thing that hits. Um, and can he take off and run? We, some of those, some of the bigger hits he took Sunday after the, the injury went for not, he had a couple scrambles that ended up coming back on penalties. And so it's just, it's going to be touch and go really. I don't think just this week for maybe the rest of the season, because to get that thing to truly heal, you need to rest it completely. And he, there's going to be more bumps and bruises, whether it's handing the ball off. I don't think he can keep handing the ball off left-handed to Joe Mixon. I think he's going to have to go back to his regular handoffs there. It's it's going to get jostled, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to come down to his pain tolerance. I mean, he may still do the left-handed handoff. We saw Carson Palmer do that for, I remember, a, a, a stretch of time when he was here and had, had an issue with his hand. I mean, but either way, uh, you're right. The The concern is exactly what you mentioned, is is throw a ball and it hits a helmet, it hits a shoulder pad, you go to the ground and it lands weird and it, there's a, a more pain, pop it, whatever, in and out. I mean, you know, it's... I think it's going to be a part of the discussion here for certainly for a little while, but it is something that you can play through and we'll just be keeping a closer eye. But as far as the initial reaction, nothing disastrous, uh, no specifics really given other than, you know, probably going to be limited during the course of the week, which I think everybody should have assumed. Um, other news to kind of come out of, of Monday, Logan Wilson, has uh has a dislocated shoulder. I, I, you know, it was termed to sort of miss one or two weeks would be the bright side of things. Um, I think the consensus is something like this: couple two to four weeks. They don't know if they're going to put him on IR yet, so that's really going to be the thing we'll watch over the course of this week: is do they clear that roster spot, which means he would have to miss a minimum of three games, or do they leave it open? for the chance of him coming back for that third game, you know, with an, with an eye uh, certainly on that Ravens game on the 26th or whatever. What, what do they do with Logan Wilson? And, and so I, that we'll get a definitive answer on what they see as the diagnosis on him before next week's game, because they are going to put him on IR if they feel like it's definitely go longer than that. My you know, estimation from kind of what I am hearing, I, I don't think he'll end up on IR because I do think they want to leave open the bright side of the timeline <laughs> for him to come back is when you consider the importance he is and how big it would be. What is the what is the importance of having that roster spot versus Logan Wilson potentially being available against the Ravens in what could be your biggest game of your season? Yeah, I, 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 that feels like that is going to be the biggest game. I mean, it's a it's a one game lead. If the Bengals win that one, they they vault. They don't tie the Ravens. They vault them because they would have the tiebreaker edge. And if it's they they know usually right after the assessment of the injury on Monday whether it if it has to be IR. And the fact that it's not already, I think, is an encouraging sign. And it. it I don't know that that roster spot is that valuable, especially now in this era where you get two extra elevations on on Sunday. Um, I, I would be surprised if if he hits IR. They're gonna they're gonna hold out hope that they'll have him for that Baltimore game. Uh, an interesting thing that has popped up in the wake of Logan Wilson's injury um, has been the idea of what the hell was he doing out there on special teams? And Logan Wilson has played um, on punt team all year. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually of late. He, I think the last since the bye, they might have dialed him back a little bit. He went was out there when Marcus Bailey went out right before him. They were down so low on linebackers. I mean, at that point, wondering who the hell was even going to play. Um, Jay, Jay, you, you got stats on this, right? Yeah, I do. I mean, they lost Jordan Evans. They lost Akeem Davis Gaither. Those were guys who were big special teams guys. Logan Wilson played 60% of the special team snaps last year. They have dialed that back to 27 this year. But everybody is like, well, you know, he's your, why is your best tackler out there on special teams? This is coaching malpractice. And, and it's not. I went and I looked the, the 10 linebackers that lead the league in tackles, which means they're playing a lot and have great value to their team of those top 10, seven of them have played at least 18% of their team snaps on special teams, including Bobby Wagner, who's been in this league forever and leads the league in tackles. He's playing 18% of the special team snaps for the Seahawks. This is not some 
crazy idea that the the Bengals had him out there. Eric Kendricks, super valuable guy for the Ravens. Roquan Smith for the Bears. All these guys are top tens in tackles, and they're playing in the eighteen to twenty five percent range on special teams. So I just just felt like that should be cleared up. That it's not like the Bengals were, were taking this gigantic gamble. Or maybe it is a gamble, but it's it's still it's something that goes on league wide. This was not a, a one off where the Bengals just really kind of shot themselves on the foot by throwing Logan Wilson out there and exposing him to possible injury. Yeah, and and especially over the course of a game when your other linebacker goes out right before you, mm-hmm. somebody's got to go in, you know. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna hold that over anybody's head. At all, like you said, I mean, that's this is it's common. Linebackers play special teams. It's football. Yeah, linebackers are special teamers. That's what they're built for. And and you can take some chances, you cannot. Whatever. I mean, they are so beset at the linebacker position right now, and they were specifically in that moment too. That I have I have a hard time saying go out there and play one special team snap. Um, is is some egregious malpractice. I would, I'd would i be with you on that one. Let's move on through some other injuries. Uh, Chidobe Ouzier, uh, with, with his injury ankle, I, I would sounds like he's probably going to miss a week or try to go out there and play on it. Maybe on Sunday, it, it, you know, we'll he's probably iffy for this week, but not, not long-term serious. Um, Marcus Bailey has a stinger. I think the thought is that he should be good. Um, but again, he'll, he's a guy that will be monitoring over the course of the week, but not serious. Chris Evans with the hamstring, uh, Riley Reef and Trey Hopkins with their ankles. They're going to try to get them back to practice this week and hope that they'll be able to go on Sunday. Certainly with Reef and Hopkins, those are important ones to watch. The fact they were listed as questionable last week gives you hope that that ankle will be feeling good enough for them, one or both of them, to get back on Sunday against the Niners. They clearly need them, specifically Trey Hopkins. So um, you're you're going to want to see – uh, what they look like going into Sunday and hope that they don't have some sort of questionable designation and possibly be held out again. I mean, the bottom line is Trey Hill did not play well. You had maybe a little bit more faith in Isaiah Prince and what he was able to do hanging in there on the right side, but Trey Hill not not ready for prime time. No, penalties, getting beat, um, not sure – this would be something to ask the coaches, but where you know how he handled the protections and the line. But you know he's not going to do as much thing. as Hopkins, <laughs> right? Exactly, it's impossible. I mean, yeah. Trey Hopkins is a, a brilliant mind, and he's been doing this forever. So it is it, that is the key one because Isaiah Prince did play pretty well. He had the the hands to the face penalty that was just kind of an unfortunate miss on his punch. Um, and, and Brian Callahan on Monday talked about how impressed he was with how Isaiah Prince kind of held that side down. But yeah, the the key one is getting Trey Hopkins back at center. So that's kind of a roundup of a lot of injuries. I think if you're looking for an overall reaction, not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. And maybe not as bad as it felt when you were watching the game on Sunday. So that's the good thing, you know, because the other side of that is, you know, Trey Waynes and Deontay Smith coming back and possibly opening up the 20 to one day window on them. Um, is a big deal because, you know, Zach Taylor spoke to that on Monday about, look, trending in that direction that they could bring these guys back and into practice this week and see how I mean, these guys that have been out almost all season. I mean, Dante Smith has been all season. Trey Wayne's barely played. Trey Wayne's still pe- people still waiting to see if he's going <laughs> to earn one of the checks um, that he has on his three year, $42 million contract. And so, the idea they have looked good on the side sounds like they look good enough on the side to see what they look like in practice. That's how this works. And then you, you, you open up 21 days to make a decision on them to see how practice goes. It could be a week of practice where you're like, Oh, I'm not sure yet. Or they come out there, they look great in practice. They're ready to go. Sometimes it's one week, sometimes it's two. Um, but I think when you consider some of the other injuries going on, um, you know, I would not be stunned um, to see Trey Wayne's out there potentially playing on Sunday against the 49ers. Yeah. I mean, especially with Cheeto battling what he's battling and that tip, you're right. It sometimes it's one week, sometimes it's two. Typically with these guys have come off IR this year and they haven't had a lot on IR, but when they open that practice window, it leads to the, the player coming right back. So it, 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 it 
Trey Wayne's does look good. And Zach made the point, you know, that they, they can look good on, on the rehab field. It does come down to how they play in practice, but it, it feels like we're going to get an announcement today or tomorrow that they, they are opening the window on him specifically. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him out there. They're going to need him against the 49ers, especially all these injuries. Maybe one of the most important ones in this game is, is what the status of Debo Samuel is going to be for the 49ers because that guy is a difference maker, and especially the way they're using him in the backfield now. Um, if if he's in the game, they are, they're going to need Trey Waynes. I don't know if Vernon Hargraves and Eli Apple can hold it down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what he what he means to them in the running game, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all the things that Kyle Shanahan likes to do. So, and we'll get a lot into that as we get closer on Thursday. Uh, other news: Sam Hubbard, uh, Bengals Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. Congratulations to him! All the work that he does here, um, not just the work he does off the field with with Free Store and uh, everything, but I mean, it, it's kind of an all around. It's it's in the locker room, on the field, in the community. It's pretty much the number one thing number one award that you can nominate for someone for on your team and as prestigious as it gets across the league one of 32 nominees a lot of money can go to his charity if he is named the nfl man of the year but still uh by getting this nomination there will be money to to his charities and all that stuff congratulations to strong man of molar sam hubbard it was nice knowing you sam (laughs) because if you look at the past bengals walter payton man of the year nominees gino gone Gio gone, Carlos gone, Michael Johnson gone. It's 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 been uh, it, obviously there's no correlation. Did they there, all leave the but, next year? <laughs> um, well, Gio made it because Gio was 20, 2019 and he was around last year. Yeah, so I mean, everybody's gone though. Car- Everybody, yeah. the whole roster from those teams are gone. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Really, like, you just picking a random name. I, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I would say, yeah. Hopefully, hope Sam just signed the contract, so not gone. Yeah, and, and one other note there: uh, two two other Cincinnati connections. Andrew Whitworth was the Rams uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, um, and um, Jason Kelsey, former UC Bearcat, was the Eagles Man of the Year nominee. Andrew Whitworth the real chance to win NFL Man yes. of the Year, considering lifetime achievement stuff uh, yeah. involved in that and everything that he's done. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that for you. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk a little bit about the playoff picture. And there's a bunch of stuff I want to run through. And then I'm gonna have a run passer boot for you, Jay. So let's let so let, let me let me just apologize for my monologue here, as I as I need to do like four times an episode. Um, okay, you currently have the Bengals in the sixth seed at seven and five, thanks to the Patriots' uh, wind aided victory <laughs> uh, against the Bills on Monday Night Football. The Bills in that seven seed now at seven and five. The head to head with the Bengals and Chargers, putting the Chargers in the five spot in the wild card, but five, six, and seven. The three wild cards all seven and five. Uh, you've got a bunch of teams right behind them uh, at sixes and sixes. The Steelers, of course, at six, five, and one. It's a total mess. There's a lot. There's a lot that's going to happen and unfold over these last five games. For me, uh, I I look at the North. The Ravens are one game up. The Bengals are one game back. Obviously, a victory over them means a tiebreaker. I think. The North is still the path of least resistance. The Ravens lose Marlon Humphrey for the year. It be, it feels like they're just taking on too much water in Baltimore. And offensively, they can't score. I mean, offensively, they're they're just not scoring. I mean, you look, it's they they have one game over 20 points, you know, that since since before when the Bengals played them. You know, they're offensively, they're a mess. They're losing more players on their defense. I mean, you lose Marlon Humphrey. 
We've already lost Marcus Peter. I mean, it just feels like too much for them to take on. And then you look at the schedules. The Ravens 8-4 and four play at, at the Browns. Big, massive game. Ravens-Browns, massive game. Ravens win can, can will essentially almost eliminate the Browns, moving them to 6-7. and seven. But the Ravens got to go at the Browns. Let's say they lose that. Packers at the Bengals. Rams. Steelers. Packers and Rams? <laughs> I mean, they're considering the way that they've been playing and it's felt like a lot of smoke and mirrors. That's a that's a slide waiting to happen. That's a that is a tough road to hoe. It is. I mean, th- I think they have the hardest schedule of any of the the AFC North teams the rest of the way. And I mean, Cleveland still has to play Green Bay in Green Bay. Pittsburgh has to go to Kansas City. Every one of these four teams has three home games, two road games left. And you would think that the way the way the parity works in the league that where you get the the last place schedule that the Bengals would have the easiest easiest path. But we talked about this so early where so much of their easy games were going to be front loaded and they've already got those out of the way. They for a team that's playing a last place schedule, this is a a pretty daunting finish that they have. Um but I, I don't think anybody has a tougher path than than Baltimore. They do get Green Bay and the Rams both at home, but still, those are those are top five teams in the league with explosive offenses. And you mentioned it; the, Ra- the, the Ravens aren't scoring; they're having a hard time keeping up. I, I think they've got the toughest path. Um, but I, I still, I, 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 I still view them, despite that schedule, as the favorite to win this division. Yeah, I, and I wouldn't disagree with that just because of the the game lead on the Bengals. And but here's the thing, I mean, for the Bengals to win this division, they they could almost do it just by beating the Browns and the Ravens. <laughs> Honestly, to get them to yeah. nine wins and the tiebreak, I'm not saying. I mean that that would require the Ravens going one and four the rest of the way. But if you make the Bengals game a loss, would anybody be stunned if they lost to both the Packers and the Rams? Then they'd have mm-hmm. to, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about, of course there's a chance it could end at nine. I mean, so more than likely it doesn't. Here's my run passer boot. How many wins will the AFC North champ have? Nine, 10, or 11 or more? I'm going to run with 10. Um, I just, it just feels that's the way it is. I, maybe the Ravens can go three and two down the stretch to get to 11, but I, I don't see it. Um, I, I think that's more likely than having a nine win champ. So I'll, I'll run with 10, I'll pass on 11 or more and I'll, I'll boot nine. I think the easy, the run is the easy here. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the pass or the boot because I think there's a more likely chance that this turns into a total cluster at nine (laughs) (laughs) because the Steelers could make it to nine and have a, you know, and have potentially get there with their tie, you know, and and putting them over the top. If you're talking about teams that would get to nine wins. And that's why, you know, I'm going to pass on nine. I'm going to boot 11. I don't, I don't. I I just think there's a a more likely chance that it falls apart than the Ravens catch fire when you consider what they have been and what they have in front of them. I mean, you just with the way they're playing to be staring down Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford, and they, and, and and a team that beat them forty-one to seventeen, and, and who knows? I mean, that, that game just feels like the big one to circle on the whole schedule. Um, so the absolute game changer. Um, for both of these teams that the Bengals will have to have. And for that fact, sit back, look at it this way. Go three and two. Hmm. Bengals go three and two on this stretch. And, you know, you just had them done. Let's a reminder of the Bengals schedule. Niners this week at the Broncos. Ravens, Chiefs at Browns. The Browns spiral is also a factor here. Yes. Potential for a brown spiral in a week 17 get me the hell out of here feeling of the from from a team that had high expectations. Who knows if Baker Mayfield's still standing at that point is an interesting or that could have a ton on the line. 
Any of these teams could make a run. Any of these teams could find something and make a run, and I and the Browns amongst them. Um, but I, I just think I still think that's almost an easier path than fighting whatever the hell this wild card thing is going to look like. If it plays out where the winner in this division goes nine and eight, do you think this division also gets a wild card? With two nine and eight teams, I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, you know, you're. I think one of the wild cards is going to have nine wins, hmm. and and a tie break. I think you're probably going to get two at ten wins, and you're going to have another one every a bunch of people at nine. When you just look at the mess of it, I mean, to think all these seven and five teams are going to go three and two the rest of the way out, considering the way it's gone, I don't I don't see that happening for everybody. Um, so I think there'll be a you'll be in a mix at nine, but what's the uh, you have the five thirty eight playoff percentages, don't you uh, on our 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 five thirty eight analytic on on this? Yeah, the the Bengals loss to the Chargers was really kind of significant in in that regard, where they're down to a forty four percent chance to make the playoffs. They were they were sixty nine last week. Um, it's, I mean, forty-four. That that's less than a flip, a flip of the coin right now. That is not good. They they've got this ELO index that kind of rate. It's it's basically a power ranking, and the Bengals dropped thirty-five ELO points last week, um, which was the biggest drop of any team in the league. Uh, the Chargers leapt forty-one points with their win, which was the biggest leap of any team in the league. That was the, the way the, the way five thirty-eight sees it. It was a big, big swing, and this coming week, they they also put a power index or an importance index on every game. What it means to the playoff picture from zero to one hundred. Bengals Niners is a ninety-six. That is the highest game of the week. The next highest is Viking Steelers at 73. This is a huge swing game for the playoff picture, Bengals and Niners. I mean, both teams right in the mix. Niners at six yep. and six, uh, coming off coming off a loss and and uh, you know, Bengals obviously were there at right both two teams right on the edges uh of the playoff picture, no doubt. Here's so here's the question. Do you We've now seen this team ride the, these nauseous waves that we discussed on the walkout um, about inconsistency and trustworthiness. And, you know, I'm, I have a story finishing up that should be up as you're listening to this uh, about the ability to trust Jamar Chase, you know, where you've seen him just be the be the highest high in some areas from week to week, you know, from play to play, from stat to stat, he's the highest high, but he's also on the other end of the spectrum with some of the lowest lows. You know, Chase, he amongst the best in the league in so many key stats, like missed tackles force. He's first. He got the most missed tackles force amongst receivers. If you're looking at the, you know, 58 qualifying receivers that have a decent amount of targets. First in missed tackles force. Six in yak after receptions. 20-plus air yard touchdowns. He's tied for first still. Receiving touchdowns. He's tied for fourth. Then the other side, drop percentage. He's 53rd. Targeted interceptions. He's dead last, 58th. Contested catch percentage. He's 50th. You know, it's it's this this yin and yang of Jamar Chase, and you like live with it, and you die with it, and it's part of the rookie inconsistency, right? And you just you're gonna deal with that. But it's he's such a big part of the passing game, and then we've seen the first seven weeks where he's gangbusters, and then lately he's kind of been an afterthought. And when he's had opportunities, he hasn't always cashed in on them. And a part of that is scheme, a part of that is attention, a part of that is the way people are viewing him. The offense has still clicked at a decent rate, and that's good. That's part of the plan. That's great, actually. It was part of the plan the whole time. We've talked about that a lot. But the bottom line is when you do need him, when you do count on him, I don't know that you always know what you're going to get. And Sunday was the primary example of that. With the drop early and with another drop, and you just are like, 
I think it's kind of, he's like a microcosm of this team in a lot of ways. From week to week, you just don't always know for sure what you're going to get. It can be um, great amongst the best in the league. In some weeks, you just say, it's just a team that just makes mistakes all over itself. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've talked about how much they they roll coverage his way. I mean, every drop he has has that chance of being an interception like that deep ball. And I, I don't know that it's going to affect Joe's confidence in him. He's, Joe said over and over again, he throws the ball where the defense says to throw the ball. If if, if if he's supposed to throw it to Jamar and Jamar's open, he's still going to throw it there. I don't think he's going to lose confidence in him, or he hasn't yet. <laughs> Maybe if this keeps going, he will. Because that, that that is a brutal swing to have what should be a long touchdown turn into an interception. And the other thing, you talked about rookie inconsistency, and there is something to that. But the other thing I thought was really telling when we talked to Jamar yesterday is he talked about um, his, his struggles with getting loose for practice now that it's getting cold. He said he, just, he used to just walk out there, stretch, be ready to go. Now he's like getting in the hot tub to try to get his body temper, his internal temperature a little warmer. He's he's doing extra stuff. He's someone that has not played in cold weather and and clearly is affected by it. And there's that's what these games are going to be the rest of the year. And you just you wonder if a, a guy struggling with drops as is what it's going to be like when it gets really cold and that ball's hitting his hand. So I. I, I, you want to dismiss it as, you know, kind of rookie inconsistency and think when the games get bigger, the moments get bigger, he's, he's going to rise to it. But I, I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of confidence that, that this is going to get any better at the end of this year. I, I, I think it's a part who he is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the inconsistencies and the struggles in the preseason were real. You know, then the, then the early charge was real early in the season he's just he he just he's kind of a of a hit or miss guy at times and when he hits boy does he hit (laughs) you know but i but also there's always there's always the back of the mind of 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 your taking chances and for a team that has so been defined by disasters happening by turnovers we talked about on the walkout the stat of you know they have they actually are last in the league well second last in the league when you look at turnovers per loss 2.8 turnovers for every loss they've had i mean that's that's as bad as it gets like they're just the clear defining reason they're killing themselves right and then you look at six of joe burrow's last eight interceptions have come when joe when Jamar Chase has been targeted. He has two fumbles. Eight of your 19 turnovers giveaways have come because either targeted or because of the one person, right? Because of the instability there. And but so many of your touchdowns have become because of the one person. And it's like <laughs> it creates this this just season, right? That they're in right now of of the ups and downs and and uh, and how how dynamic it can be that way. It's just it's it's a it's a wild thing. That that's happening right now, and you're getting what you've been asking for from the defense: enforcing turnovers, three straight games, forcing multiple turnovers. First time they've done that since 2015. They've they've forced multiple turnovers in four of their last five games. That's what you need to win this time of year. But you can't have the offense matching that. The offense has to cut them down if, if they're going to have any chance of winning this division. And it's, it's, it, that has to be frustrating because that has been such a, such an emphasis for this defense and they're finally creating them and, and they're being negated by the offense, just giving them right back. Or in some cases, giving them back in the first place. Jay, you asked Brian Callahan uh, on Monday uh, a little bit about that, about turnovers and can, can you get away with this to some, in some respect? And I thought his answer was uh, was pretty good. Here's um, Brian Callahan uh, on Monday uh, talking about turnovers. Joe leads the league in interceptions. He's third in interception percentage. Is that is that something that has to change for you guys to get where you want to go, or is it a case of throws are going to throw? You're going to have to live with those and and find other ways to overcome them. Yeah, I mean it has to change some some way, shape, or form. I mean we're. You know, the crazy thing is we're we're still sitting at that. in our in our last three losses. You know, we've 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 turned the ball over I think eight times in three losses, and you know that's not going to get it done versus very many good teams. Mm-hmm. And when you turn over four against Chargers, a team that's 
you know, uh, on a playoff push, uh, it's going to be difficult to overcome. And then the, the wildest part of all of it is we were damn near in position to overcome it. And, you know, the last, the, that fumble for a touchdown put a dagger in it, really. But not that we were out of the game at that point, but it just, it, it was, it, it definitely took the wind out of the sails as you're trying to not to come back. But, you know, the turnovers, are just, they're too many. It's too many all the way around. Um, you know, our defense has done a decent job of getting the ball back, and we're really not—we're really neutralizing that advantage um, when we keep giving the ball away at the rate we are, whether it's fumbles or interceptions or however they come. Um, I think we've turned the ball over on three of our four last opening drives of the game. That's—you know—that's a tough way to start a football game, uh, and that's—that's that's how you end up down twenty-four nothing when you do things like that. So. They have to change, and not every interception on the quarterback. You know, I made a big point to the unit today that turnovers are really it's a it's a offensive problem, and sometimes the turnover is because the guy didn't, the guy gives up pressure. Uh, sometimes the turnover is because um, there's not we're not sound enough in protection, and, and the, or we miss a protection pickup, and the quarterback gets hit because the guy's free. And, uh, sometimes we don't we don't run the right route, and so things. And not that those all, all those things happen in this game in particular, but. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, turnovers are, are a collective effort, and they, they do involve everybody. And, um, you know, there's really, however they come, there's too many, uh, however it's happened. Uh, whether there's a, a reason for them or not, we just can't turn the ball over like that. It's really hard to overcome. There's Brian Callahan, uh, offensive coordinator. And, 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 you know, it's true. I mean, there's just no way around it. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't say, oh, yeah, this, that, and the other. We're trying to do this, trying to throw it. You just can't do it anymore. And that's where I, you get back to this. It's it it is an offense thing. It, this, it's not fair that we mentioned Jamar Chasing. It just we've seen him involved in so many of these, and you know there's a reliability in Tyler Boyd. There's certainly a developing reliability and dynamic of T Higgins. Hmm. No one expects Joe Mixon to do what he does, and how and and it's true. How differently are we talking about everything? You know, Jamar said this. We ain't have, sitting here having this talk right now. If I just catch that ball. And because if he catches that ball, he's what is it six for would have been six for what like one twenty three and a touchdown. We've been talking about something like that because he would have had a one thirty three whatever it was, and they probably would have won. Joe Mixon doesn't just literally almost hand the ball off, you know, to the Chargers going the other direction. Do they win? Yeah. They win. I mean, those two of the simplest things ever by two of your best players happen, you win that game. And how different is the conversation that we're having? Is that fluky? It feels a little fluky. Certainly the mixing thing is fluky. Yeah. The Jamar thing has a history. Um, but it does come come back to like just the you just can't keep being a team that this stuff happens to. There's a story behind all of them. You just can't be a team that just this continues to happen. And I mean, it's it sounds cliche, but it's so real. Every time you ask a coach about the 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 want the most important thing in the upcoming game, it's always turnovers, and it's always going to be turnovers. It's it's just it's such a game changer. One can be you get up in the two, three, four range, you're really shooting yourself in the foot in, in terms of having any chance of winning a game. And you know if he if he catches that ball, he's right. We're, we're talking about fastest Bengals player to a thousand yards. We're, we're, they they take the lead there because the Chargers they missed that first extra point, right? So I get was that right? Did the Chargers miss that first extra point? They yeah they did. It would have been nine. So it's six. So yeah, I mean it it just it totally changes the game. And then even after the twenty four nothing. To, to come back and we talked about it in the walkout that it, it felt like they were going to win that game. They were, they were favored to win that game. When you look at win probability, when they had second and two at 34, they had a 54% chance of winning that game, even with three turnovers. And then, or it was two at the time, but then Mixon fumble makes it three, the borough forced interception, in the end zone makes it four. And then it's just, you have no chance. I, I don't, I would have to go look, but teams that could turn the ball over four times, it has to be in the single digits, the percentage of winning those games. All right, let's just take a quick break. So they're a team that we're not really sure what you're going to get from week to week, um, but you do get some very high highs. 
And um, I think you're still banking on that. You're still banking on they can find ways to, to find consistency there, and maybe they do. We can get more into that uh, with Mo Egger. Uh, so let's bring in our, our, our good friend from ESPN 1530. All right, now is the time on that podcast, Ground, where we bring in our good friend, Mo Egger, ESPN 1530. What's up? How we doing, guys? Doing, doing good. Well. Doing good. Good to have you back here. Jay is wearing your shirt. <laughs> and even did even as you came on here, did a big reveal. I'm of, flattered. Uh, where you said, oh, I got to take my sweatshirt off very coyly <laughs> to like, I, I appreciated the, dr- the, the dramatic uh, reveal that you did before we got started here, Jay. I, I had it planned since the day I bought the shirt a week ago. So I was very glad to pull it off. I'm just yeah. glad you got it. Did you did you get it in the store? Yeah, I did. I didn't pre-order. Okay. I, I, on my way down to the stadium on Wednesday, I went in to buy it, and I, I thought oh, they would wow. have them on the rack, and they didn't, so they had to make it custom. So I had to wait about 20 minutes. So I thought I'm, I was worried wow. I might be a little late for the Joe Burrow interview, but I, I made it. I got the shirt, so everything's good. That the is a uh, shirts. I'm having fun shirt. For those that have not uh, seen it, go to Cincy Shirts and, and, and pick one up for yourself. I'm I'm flattered, and uh, on behalf of the uh, um, Cincinnati Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, we thank you. Uh, you know, it's only fitting. I feel like Jay should have to wear this shirt during every segment since we literally talk about your tweets and there's a shirt <laughs> about your tweet, which we have talked about in this segment. <laughs> it really feels like uh, that should be the uniform uh, for this for this segment. Speaking of, Jay. Yeah. What are the numbers on Mo's tweets this week? Uh, yeah, so 102 tweets for Mo this week. And um, I know you, you're going to have the ones you want to talk about. I just want to say my personal favorite was number 100 as you count backward from most recent to furthest back. Number 100 was Notre Dame head coach Hugh Jackson. And that was part <laughs> of a series of tweets. But I particularly like that one. And I almost wanted to chime in at some point and say Notre Dame coach Steve Specht because I thought it would have fall right in line. But I, I didn't want people to not know what I was talking about and be like, what? Yes. Yeah. Well, that was in the queue because I, I had them. <laughs> I'll pull the curtain back just a little bit. I, I started that by the first one was Notre Dame head coach Marvin Lewis. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought, like, this will be fun. And it, it'll because everybody's losing their mind and nervous and stuff. Um, and I'll tell you a really funny story really quick uh, aside from this. But I'm like, I'm just going to start naming these random coaches. And so I had like like 15 more. <laughs> that was like had ready to go. And then they hired Marcus Freeman. So it's like, all right, eh. um, I, I'll stop. But I, I, one of them that I tweeted was Notre Dame head coach, Don Treadway, who you might remember was the offensive coordinator at UC. And then he was the head coach at Miami. So the yep. other night I was, I was on 700 WLW and I'm hosting for Lance and I look on the call screen and it says Don Treadway, <laughs> Don Treadway called the radio station. To wow. Refute the rumors. <laughs> to refute the rumors. <laughs> wow yeah so it worked (laughs) wow i mean look he was just happy to be in the conversation right but he he wanted to die that he had interest yeah uh i I was tempted to ask you what don treadway's up to now but i don't even want to know we'll just move on i think he's the i think he's at arkansas pine bluff he told me i talked i didn't talk to him on the air Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you, you I, explained I the mix up. Yeah. But, okay. but I thought I was like, I could have this like big exclusive, like breaking yeah. news. <laughs> Treadway takes himself out of running. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, let's move on to the Bengals. You uh, had really one tweet uh, from Sunday, and it was actually the perfect entry point into this conversation. And it came out at, at 4.24 p.m. And it was, the Bengals looked very unprepared today. Ooh. Is yeah. it that is it is it uh for you is it a this is about the coach not having the team prepared or the team not having themselves mentally right was that is it as simple as that for you yeah I don't know that I I put it mostly on the coach I mean if if we're gonna take this team seriously this team needs to show up ready to play every single week and they didn't now I wholeheartedly believe if Joe Mixon doesn't fumble eh, they win the game but because it just it felt like things were moving in that direction and I give Joe Burrow, a lot of credit for gutting through what was, he was an obvious pain. I mean, there's, you know, you can, you can knock, well, it's a pinky big deal. He was grimacing. He was unhappy. He fought through it. I give them credit for making the game at least somewhat interesting, but 
they dug themselves a 24 nothing hole the first 20 minutes of the game. They, they didn't look at all ready to play from an offensive standpoint with turnovers, from a defensive standpoint with the inability to cover anybody, just a no phase of the game. And then, you know, you, the, Zach Taylor pointing the finger at himself for the whole two-point conversion fiasco, but that was certainly uh, didn't, refl- re- didn't reflect well on him. I, I just think I, I'm, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's well-established, but I've been watching this sport long enough that I, I think I, I think I know what a team looks like when it's buttoned up, ready to play and ready to go. I saw it on Monday night with the New England Patriots adjusting to the weather. They were ready to play that football game. I thought against the Pittsburgh Steelers from an offensive standpoint, the game plan made total sense. They were locked in. They looked ready to go. I saw the exact opposite against the Los Angeles Chargers, and I throw most of this at the feet of the players. Um, Zach Taylor gave them the the day off, and I know a lot of people are going to default to that. See, uh, they're too immature. They, they shouldn't have been given the Monday off, but it's an easy place to go. And I, I understand why um, Zach trusted his team with the whole, we're not going to have mini camp thing. Hey, I'll, I'll dangle this carrot in front of you. If you guys all come to OTAs and I trust you to get your work done and do the right thing and be ready to go once training camp starts. And he did the same thing on Monday. And then they showed up and they gave him that performance. I put that on the, the, the feet of the players collectively. Um, and sure the coach is ultimately responsible for whether or not his team is, is ready to go. But I didn't think the scheme didn't make sense or the game plan didn't make sense. I just thought you had a bunch of guys that didn't look like they were as locked in as they did the week before. And the result of that was a pretty costly loss. That doesn't mean this team isn't going in the right direction. This doesn't mean that I, I we don't really like the, the collection of players they have. This doesn't mean they're not going to win on Sunday. It doesn't mean they're not going to achieve their goals for the season. But in a vacuum, that 20-minute stretch specifically where they dug themselves a three-score hole, a 24 nothing hole, that looked like that looked like lack of preparation. That that's what that looked like to me, and so that was reflected by the tweet. Zach kind of refuted that. Yeah, he was asked about that yesterday, and and he he, he thought it was more. And I, I I kind of agree with him. It was the, it was the turnovers. That was it wasn't necessarily a lack of being prepared. It was you know how often does Jonah get beat like that, and it leads to a strip sack, and then. I don't know how much preparation plays into Jamar Chase having a ball clang off his hands, but offensively, I don't think that was an issue. The preparation defensively, maybe because they have been so good at, at bowing up after turnovers and, and kind of defending the sudden change. And, um, the, the offense really tested him this week by having all those early turnovers. Um, that the defense did look a little flat footed, but, you know, that happens sometimes when when you have those quick changes. It's kind of a regression, a regression to the mean. They've been so good at it, you figured they had to get 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 got sooner or later. But but yeah, it was it it was not for a game that was of that big of importance, it was obviously not the start you want to have. I don't yeah, and and thinking about it, and I, I talked about it with uh, Tony Pike on our show yesterday. I don't know that preparation was the right word. Um, lacked focus, uh, weren't dialed in, lacked concentration. I mean, you know, you semantically, you could have used any of, of those phrases, and I think all of them would have fit. But I mean, r- regardless, and, and you know, look, I mean, in, in a vacuum, can you excuse Jamar Chase dropping a pass that leads to a pick? Sure. Can, can you excuse Jonah Williams getting beat off the edge, uh, causing a turnover? Yeah. Can, can you excuse coverage mistakes? Yes, but but you add all them together and collectively it just it's it's a look that was very disconcerting. And I think to a degree pretty surprising given how good they looked the week mm-hmm. before, because it wasn't just that they pounded the Pittsburgh Steelers. They looked the part of, you know, if you knew if you had no context of the NFL in 2021 and you watched that game last last Sunday, you would have thought this is the best team in the league. They were unbelievably good. And then what you saw again, specifically the first 20 minutes, it it just looked like lack of focus, uh, lack of energy, whatever verbiage you want to, it was just a bad look. So Mm. maybe, you know, preparation perhaps suggests that uh, they didn't have the right game plan or players weren't paying attention during meetings and during practice. And that's probably not the right word to use, but I all of us agree that the way they looked was that that's as bad. You know, I know people are going to talk about the Cleveland game and maybe from an offensive standpoint, Chicago, but as a team top to bottom, that's as bad as I've seen the Bengals look. And frankly, it's just, it's, it's it's the first time I've walked away from a, a quarter or a quarter plus stretch of the Zach Taylor era. Now think about that and thought, holy woof, what, what the hell was that? And part of that is because my expectations of this team or for this team have been adjusted, but that was disturbing the, the first, again, the first 20 minutes. 
Um, all that said, I wholeheartedly believe if Joe Mixon doesn't fumble, they at least kick a field goal, probably win the game. And we're yeah. talking about how resilient they were and they bounced back and what heart and character they showed, but they didn't. And in large part because of how they looked over the first 20 minutes. I, I also think, you know, and that's why I hearken back to the Jamar Chase drop off in, in that it being how many times have we talked about games this year, particularly early in the year, where it's like, oh, they were in a slog and they were kind of sluggish. And then all of a sudden Jamar pulled them out of it with the big play. Right. I mean, that we, so we that was like the theme of the first seven weeks was how Jamar Chase would pull them out of the first half uh, slog they were in. And he they got they got the protection with a couple of spare parts on the offensive line that they needed. He ran himself wide open. Joe Burrow throws a dime, despite the fact that his pinky's hanging off of his hand and the dude drops it and it does turn into a pick. But even the fact just of dropping it when those opportunities have been so few and far between the energy that that would have brought. If we're talking about energy, if we're going to have an energy conversation, the energy and excitement that that would have brought to the game, the evenness that it would have brought to what was always going to be a wild game against the Chargers. That's the only types of games they play because of the nature of the way they're coached <laughs> and the way that they are built with no not much of a defense and an exciting offense and a head coach that's going to just go for it, go for it, go for it. That's fine. But when you don't, when it goes the other way and now you're down 16 to nothing and you talk about energy being down and people kind of getting down on themselves, that's where that played, you know, not as impactful as the mix and fumble just from a sheer, like obviously how that changed the dynamic of the game from a real win probability standpoint. But I mean, you know, I just think you, you talk about that play. If we're going to talk about energy in the first 20 minutes, killing that game, that was the one. And, you know, from your guy, your number five overall pick, yeah. uh, your previous front runner for offensive rookie of the year, like brutal. Can't have it. And that was the thing about this game was it was mistakes from the people you depend on most and have are supposed to be most reliable. You yeah. know, whether it be Jonah Williams, whether it be Joe Mixon who never fumbles, whether it be Joe Burrow forcing an interception at the end or Jamar Chase dropping that ball. You know, when you're talking about guys are hurt and you're worried about this, that, and the other, those are should can't be the guys that let you down. Yeah, the it's rare, and I was not lucky, I guess would be the right word. I, I was not lucky enough to be there, but it but it felt to me like the, the home team took the crowd out of the game. And there was just it, it mm -hmm. came through on television, just a, a lack of of energy by the team, by the crowd. It just, it, it, you could feel the air coming out of the balloon over those first 20 minutes. And, and again, I mean, I, I don't, it, it I don't think it should, it, I, I don't think the fact that they, they made it competitive and put themselves in a position to take the lead. I don't think that should be ignored because I've seen a lot of Bengals teams that would have lost that game 38 to three mm -hmm. and they didn't. And that's, a credit maybe to the talent they have and and perhaps some degree of of mental fortitude but it just it was it was a frustrating day because it represented such a huge missed opportunity you know Baltimore loses and you know who knows if if the 7 seed comes down to a a tiebreaker between Cincinnati and Los Angeles and now you have that head to head game to look at and you know i i i think the chargers are good and they play in a lot of crazy games, but that's that's not the type of team that you should fall behind twenty four nothing. And then, you know, there was there was also the the, the Joe Burrow Justin Herbert thing, which I, I think it's it's lazy to use one football game to make the argument that see they should have taken Herbert. So I was annoyed by that, and perhaps I should have tweeted something uh, uh, along those lines. But to watch Justin Herbert torch the Bengals early in the game while Joe is struggling and injured and 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 having guys drop passes and fumbling that as a fan was frustrating that doesn't mean that Bengals are going to regret not taking Justin Herbert but that added a, a dimension of just frustration to it that um I'm sure for a lot of people boiled boiled to the surface but but again for me just the the, the way they looked was really startling because I'd really really hoped you know every everybody has a bad game you, ideally you win those bad games. They nearly did against the jets and then they were, you know, housed by the Cleveland Browns. And I think most of us really hoped that they had kind of turned the corner, not that they were going to win every single game, not that they were necessarily going to win the game against the chargers, but that after what they did against Vegas and specifically against Pittsburgh, that they had kind of turned the corner enough that um, we didn't see 
what we saw. We weren't going to see what we saw on Sunday. And then you add to it just how the lack of depth on the offensive line showed the injury started to pile up. I mean, it was just, if it could go wrong, it did. And so again, maybe preparation is not the right word. In fact, I don't really think it is, but that look was very disconcerting and it, it lends to the narrative. And this is, you know, you can apply this to every team in the NFL almost that you can't trust this team yet. Right. I mean, you you just, you can't, you, 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 you like a lot of what they do and a lot of what they have, but week to week, they're just not trustworthy. And I think that's what this game really was all about. I don't know if it was, and I should know this, um, who was focusing on the fact this team hasn't won three consecutive games in six years, but you know, this was the, you know, everybody wins two straight, but can you develop a really, a real winning streak and really take a step forward and really separate yourself from the pack, from some of the teams that are chasing you or that you're in the mix with, um, you know, you were being fair of coming into this game. You were not yet willing to trust this franchise or this team to do that. And well, what they did on Sunday gave you every reason to believe that they're not yet ready to be trusted or not yet to be trusted, I guess. Um, and that's frustrating. That's frustrating. Yeah. And that's, I think going to be the narrative uh, fair or not moving forward. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a defining stretch, I do want to give you one last chance to talk about this other tweet here uh, quickly before we <laughs> no. get, out, get you out of here. No, no, this is good. I mean, it's very simple. It was another very simple tweet. And I think everybody uh, knew it was from December. Notre Dame 4th. head coach, Joker Phillips. No, <laughs> <laughs> I only wish. I only wish. Uh, it was from December 4th at 7 21 p.m. It was, holy crap, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the in the final stages of UC's victory over Houston, I'll just give give me that moment for you from where you were at. Uh, just a, just a, a quick summation. Well, well, it's 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 why. Look, I, I know not everybody is a UC football fan, and and I I get why. But but I I would like to think that if you're a Cincinnati sports fan, you could at least appreciate uh, what happened here because there's all the sort of built-in stories from the way that, that Luke Fickle built this program to, to what it was under the previous coach to, to what it used to be, you know, which we're all familiar with 30 years ago, 25 years ago, and the rise of this program from, you know, a local and local afterthought and a national non-entity to one that's playing for a national championship. But just again, within the season, I, I think if you sit back and you you think about, <clears throat> all right, well, could the Bearcats be pretty good this year? Yeah. Can they win all their games? Boy, it's, it's hard to ask a team to win all its games. And then, all right, well, they they beat Notre Dame. All right, well, but you, we better hope Notre Dame's good. They, we better hope they win out. Well, they do. And then you, you just you started to, like, every week go through all the different things that had to happen either that week or in the coming weeks. You know, they they to a degree, you could say, well, they needed Houston to be really good. Houston played themselves into – they had an excellent season, obviously played themselves into a national ranking. How much of that would have been a factor had Oklahoma state won? I guess we're, we're never going to know uh, um, just a, a dynamite Ohio state team, at least offensively they lose. And, you know, now Bearcat fans, and this is not a, an anti OSU thing because I, I really, I try to not do that. I, I don't, I don't believe you have to love one team and hate the others. I just, I've never operated that way, but is, is there a, a sweetness to this that Cincinnati's in it and Ohio state's not for the perpetual little brother in college football in this area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, you don't have to worry about playing them, right? Because that would have been the thing for a lot of UC fans. Great. They play in the playoff. Now they play Ohio state and have to hear about it if they get smacked. (laughs) So, I mean, but all these things that had to fall into place did. And, you know, also you have to add to that. Who knows when UC is going to have a chance like this again, right? This is, as good as I think they're going to be moving forward and as much as the Big 12 is going to help, you don't know when you're going to be in this position again. So can you actually take advantage of the opportunity? And they did. Um, and it was awesome. And it was, it, was, it, was, it was incredible to witness. It was incredible to watch. And it was incredible to, to just watch unfold. Well, uh, congratulations to you. Now they play Alabama. So <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and, that'll be, and, and that'll be fun and that will be fun too I, i'm looking i'm looking forward to further discussion and, and tweets about in the run-up to that game and figure out how, how uh I, I don't even know what to say about that game other than it should be fun to discussion uh all right mo i will uh see you on espn 1530 the this afternoon from three to four i look forward to it thanks guys
All right, good to hear from Mo, and congratulations to everybody who follows or cares about it, associated with UC football. Absolute, as they like to say, like to say, absolute scenes on Saturday night at Nippert. Uh, Nippert is all you take an already top ten venue, and maybe better than that when you throw night into it, and you throw the confluence of that game and that win. One of the great, one of the best atmospheres I've ever watched on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, in watching sports, just just awesome. I couldn't take my eyes off the, the field storming. I, I so badly was hoping that Mo just ran out of the radio booth and was down <laughs> on the field in a I'm having fun shirt and would get caught on TV. <laughs> <laughs> would have been perfect. Would have been perfect. Uh, all right. So Bengals turn their attention to San Francisco. We of course will have more on that uh, on Thursday's episode, and we'll. There'll be plenty to discuss there in a, a very unique game against a unique team and another elite offense, but in a very different way. Kyle Shanahan, sort of the running game mastermind and creates passing efficiency with Jimmy Garoppolo off of that. We'll dive a lot more into that on Thursday. The, the 49ers are coming off a loss. So I want Jay, I want to impress you with my stats <laughs> dig that I did here. Uh, it's been kind of noted uh, for a while now how so many of the Bengals opponents have been coming off a loss, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. And for the most part, teams coming off a loss versus coming off a win are about 500 on on the year. However, that's when you take into account teams that just lose over and over again, the Texans of the world, the Lions of the world, these teams that just go out there and, and crap the bed over and over again. And, yeah, that racks up a lot of losses. I filtered out to just look at teams whose season record, current record, is 500 or better, which almost every year is about 13 or 14 of the best teams in the league, and compared their records during the regular season coming off a win versus coming off a loss. This year, the 14 teams that have a record over 500 coming off a win are winning 64% of their games the next week. Coming off a loss, are winning 74% of their games the next week. A 10% win difference. And those who enjoy gambling in Vegas know what a 10% difference can mean to your willingness to make certain bets and feel certain ways. Last year, in all of 2020, it was off a win 71%. Off a loss, 78%, a 7% differential. In 2019, a 7% differential. Over the last 10 years, a 4% differential. So it's been more of late, but it's always been a difference. So when you talk about a, a season where the Bengals have repeatedly been facing these teams coming off of losses, it does matter. The focus and attention and getting berated all week, it has a tangible numerical effect that you can that you can track and see plain as day right in front of you. The good teams, which I would throw San Francisco into that bucket. Mm-hmm. And so their loss to the Seahawks, which put their season even more into an uh, emergency state at 500 in the NFC, um, only made Sunday harder for the Bengals, without doubt. But the same could be said about the Bengals, right? Now maybe you'll get the best version of them. So both teams fighting the same thing. Bengals 3-1 and one this year coming off a loss. So 75%, a little bit better than the league average. And I don't want to give you homework, but it, it this I am impressed by this stat dig you did. Thank you. But I'm wondering what like what the, the Bengals and 49ers are both coming off a loss. Someone has to win. Someone has to lose. Like if you if you take those scenarios out, what would that look like? If one team is coming off a win and one team is coming off a loss, I bet I bet that team coming off a loss win percentage would be even higher than seventy four percent. Just by the nature of the, like I said before, one team has to win, one team has to lose. I, I you, you teams are, they're just they're more focused, they're hungrier, they're more desperate, especially this time of year when the games become more important. It. It, it'll it's just it just makes sense that they, they do play better 
coming off of a, a loss. And you don't see a lot of teams. Zach said it earlier in the year after they lost to Cleveland. You know, every great team has a two-game losing streak somewhere along the line. Three-game losing streak, not so much. So it, it, they, the Bengals, not that they're getting close to a three-game after just losing the Chargers, but they can't let these losses mount. I kind of had it in my final thoughts today. Two steps forward and one step back is still progress. It's not as fast as anybody wants, but if you can if you can win two in a row and then have that loss and put that loss behind you and get back to winning, you're going to get where you need to go. That's what makes this game so big against the 49ers, not having another two-game losing streak. There is no doubt. Uh, big one on Sunday. We'll dive more into that on Thursday. We do have to recap one last thing from this past weekend, and that was... Jay's special palindrome Bengals growler bet. Jay, what unfolded? I think I broke a lot of people's brains is what unfolded because we <laughs> we did not get nearly the number of submissions we normally get for the Bengals growler bet, but it was moot because nobody won. There were no palindromes. We were very close. We were one soul away from having a palindrome on attendance it was 51,414 if one more of you would have gone to the game we would have had a palindrome um, combined passer rating was 182.2 that's not really close uh, the combined scoring yardage of all field goals and touchdowns was 293 if uh, one of those plays had been 10 yards longer we would have had 303 we would have hit it uh, time of possession was very close Bengals time of possession, 31 minutes, 15 seconds. Ooh. They were two seconds away from a palindrome there. And a total combined yardage for both teams, 719. Again, if you take out one two-yard gain somewhere along the way, it's 717 and it hits. But as it is, none of them hit. No beer for anybody this week. It's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of you were, were – were get- I got a bunch of emails that, that did give a shot. Uh, did have a 303 scoring yardage hmm. uh, given, so there that would have been a, a miracle hit. Credit 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 on that. Um, we had some people were thinking attendance. They weren't able to hit on there. Uh, there was a 3223 on some time of possession. You know, so I, I'll, I I like that the, the participation that I saw via email. So congratulations to to you guys, but. So close. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. It's sad. We'll have a new Bengals growler bet for you on Thursday. Also, um, gonna have a special inter- interview for you on Thursday's show. I'm very excited about a story I've been working on here for a few weeks. Um, that is the tease that I will give you on that one. So <laughs> look forward to all of that. So thanks to everybody for listening. Hope you have enjoyed today's show and uh, are are ready to turn your attention towards the rest of the season. Not think about Sunday's blip. So, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. On the next one.